Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me, Player Q, DFS on Twitter. It's Neil Orfield, NC Orfield, 8K, on your on your DraftKings, uh, on your whatever in your contests. And uh, week 18, Neil, uh, not as not as ridiculous as as most like final weeks of the season, as far as you know. Oh, we got like five three K wide receivers to choose from. We got uh, backup running backs that who knows what the split of the backfield is going to be there. Uh, other than the fact that you played a whole ton of uh, Jawan Winfrey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that that was actually a complete mistake. I didn't. I had no idea how much Jawan Winfrey. So I had boosted Jawan Winfrey and Equinemia St. Brown up to like seven point four fantasy points, thinking that I would get to like a couple of shares of each of them. Uh, and then as I was going through my lineups, I was looking through. I actually I scrolled down to the bottom of my lineups, like in the second quarter of the first slate of games, thinking I hope I have a lot of lineups with nobody who started yet. So I was looking at, the, at those and like the first three I looked at all had Jawan Winfrey in them with a zero. And I was like, holy shit, did I totally mess something up? And yeah, I got like 15% of each of them. And that was not by design. They, they were not plays. Sometimes, as you know, I like to take stands on players that I think the field is missing and that I think have some opportunity to really blow up. This was not one of those cases. This was just a complete accident on my part. Well, was it was it due to the fact that when you bumped up their projection just a little bit, like that three K ride receiver, like if you if you predicted that Robbie Anderson was not going to play, like Brandon Zilstra would get like an eight point projection, and then like in combination with like Cup and Taylor and like these high projected plays, like it made those barbell lineups. We see that very similar to to NBA, where you get that. That thirty-two hundred dollar player that if you just give him another two minutes, it's like it wants Giannis plus him over two, like uh, balanced. Like that that sum is just slightly higher. That yeah. you think that that was more of the cause that you know you're building one hundred and fifty lineups, and if if you're if you're under, especially I look through some of your exposures, like you had very little Cyril Grayson, you had very little, uh, you had no uh, Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, like you had you had fifteen percent Allen Robinson. It's like there weren't that many, like three to forty three k to forty five hundred dollar like standout wide receiver punt plays yeah. that like that little adjustment. That's the reason why you got thirty percent of those guys. I think I also I pretty late was uh, lowering my projection on Deontay Harris. So I think that I had done some runs where I was getting to just a little bit of Winfrey and uh, Equinemius St. Brown. And I think it was because I was getting to a ton of Deontay Harris. So I think I didn't really factor in that lowering Deontay Harris would also lead me to a lot more of those guys than I wanted. So yeah, I think. A lot, a lot of things came into play there, and it just—it's a balance. It's always tough with NFL, and I also, you know, that that was on DraftKings. I was—I finished my DraftKings lineups, my first run, uh, with like an hour to go, and I still had to make all my FanDuel lineups, which I had 300 this week, uh, and then I had to make my uh, Yahoo lineups as well. So it was just a kind of a ran out of time and didn't really get to look through a final crunch. And then I actually, I came back at the last minute, just before lock, uh, because I was 
listening to shows, listening to what they were saying about Patrick Taylor. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like anything that everything I was hearing about Patrick Taylor was not you should play Patrick Taylor on the shows that I watched. They were saying Patrick Taylor is a reason not to play AJ Dillon. I think Patrick Taylor's, you know, they're, they're not going to want to run AJ Dillon much. So Patrick, they're probably going to be using a lot of Patrick Taylor. So I was thinking they're not nobody. I've never heard anybody in, in the shows that I listen to suggest that you should play Patrick Taylor. I've just heard it said many times you shouldn't play AJ Dillon because they're probably just going to run Patrick Taylor. So then I was thinking, so I'm, I could get Patrick Taylor against the lions at like no ownership potentially. So I ended up, you know, uh, giving him, boosting his projection a lot in literally the last minute before the DraftKings slate, I, I, I re-ran a crunch and and got him in there. But, uh, didn't but he was out. owned. He was. It was. He was uh, owned. Yeah, seven percent. I, I thought owned. he was going to be. I thought he was going to be two percent owned. Um, and he came in a lot higher than I thought he was going to, just based on the chatter I had heard. I don't know. I'm guessing that there were other shows that were touting him because I heard other people say that they thought about using him in their cash games and. Uh, yeah, I, I used him in my DK cash lineup. Yeah, so I, I just, I just right. If if uh, uh, our, uh, if you listen, ETR, ETR put them put put Patrick Taylor at, at, in the top five running back value plays and and uh, Roto Grinders. Like he was vi- It wasn't like oh my god, this is the free free square. It was more of a viable. It only viable because the low end wide receiver range was fairly poor. And like, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to make a build with Taylor and Cup together, you may need both uh, a 4K wide receiver and a 4K running back in order to do that. And if Patrick Taylor is gonna mix in in the first half and then play all of the second half, uh, exactly, that's enough. That that's that's enough for 4K. You don't do you need 30 points out of him? No, he's he's a 4K running back, right? So so I, I get it. But in the low in in the lower stakes. Contests like if I go to Results DB, uh, the differences in ownership between the Wildcat and the Millie, like any anything that was projected sharp, were good plays in the Millie, but not necessarily in the Wildcat anymore. So like like we're talking about like Patrick Taylor, Patrick Taylor was sixteen percent in the Wildcat, seven percent in the Millie. Like if I go through some and like. I'll mention some of these plays. It's exactly like uh, like the big disparity between, let's see, uh, like Justin Jefferson was 22% in the Wildcat, but 13% in the Millie. Then Patrick Taylor, 16 and 7. Then we got Keyshawn Vaughn, 16 and 9. Connor, 16 and 10. Allen Robinson, 14 and 7. Uh, Marvin Jones, 12 and 7. DJ Moore, 12 and 6. Like I'm, I'm naming like Deontay Harris, eleven and six. Yeah. Like I'm naming guys that you, Millie, right? Right. That project that yeah, projected well, uh, in comparison in the lower stakes that people aren't playing as efficiently. So like, in the Millie, you probably should just jam those guys. But in yeah. the Wildcat, like I, I was built, I built eight lineups for uh, for single entry and three max small field, and of course I played them in the Millie also. I just throw them in. Uh, I only played one lineup with Marvin Jones Jr. because I just thought he would be, he's over-owned. I thought uh, a guy like Brandon Cooks would be over-owned. I thought uh, Deonta Foreman would be over-owned. So, like, I was, I, I was similar, I had similar running backs to you. Dalvin Cook was under-owned. Antonio Gibson. James Conner, who I was swapping in. I, like, left Singletary, it's like Singletary Conner in that, that flex spot. 
And it's like, depending on the lineup, I could just like flip flop for, for the late yeah. games. Uh, cause there weren't any surprise enactments. I think a lot of people played, uh, some emptier early slate lineups yeah. under the hopes that they'd be something that we didn't expect. And you could jam in like Eno Benjamin or something. That's or, what I was hoping for. I right, was that's what you were hoping for. And it, it yeah. didn't really come, come out that way, but you'd ended up with a lot of James Conner. And yeah, he did work out just fine. James Conner projected extremely well for Osimo. I think he might have been like the top projected points per dollar running back uh, in the Osimo projection. So I was going to get a lot of whichever of them was starting um, just because. Right. But I you have to. But, 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 but Neil, you have to understand that the Conner projection was going to be fragile. Like not only was we're we sure he was even going to play, but even if he did play. How it was he going to be limited and was he not going to be limited? It turns out he wasn't going right. to be limited, but like you understand that, yeah. like I think Osimo, yeah, yeah. I think Osimo projected Connor as if he was not limited, while ETR projected him where he was going to be significantly limited, and the blitz was kind of like in the middle. So depending yeah. on like obviously if you're using Osimo's projections, he was projecting as I mean pretty he would have been, and you could say the same thing. Antonio Gibson I played because uh, yeah. everyone expected him to be limited. Yeah. Like, like what, what's the reason of running him into the ground? Jared Patterson's there. They're playing the Giants. Just split the load. And nope, Antonio Gibson just played his oh, normal. If, he, if everyone Williams projected that Patterson. at 5,800, he would have yeah. been he would have been the jam of the slate. But if, if you had told me that Jonathan Williams and Jared Patterson would combine for 13 carries, I probably wouldn't have wanted that much Antonio Gibson because they they did get a lot of carries. The other two backs, they just right. But also Gibson got a lot of carries. I mean, I know, yeah, it's the Giants. They were they, they just ran the ball all game. Yep. So yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of Gibson as well. I was nervous about it uh, just because. So they they said that they wanted to get their younger guys involved, and I. I was uh, hesitant about what they actually meant by younger. I thought maybe they meant more experienced or like that. Because Gibson is clearly a part of their future. They don't need to see what they have in Gibson. My assumption was that they actually meant we should get the, you know, secondary tertiary guys involved rather than our regular starters as opposed to actually younger players. But, yeah, they played a lot of Gibson, so apparently they meant it. Uh, looking through some of the other stuff, I mean... I mean, how did how did you do overall? I mean, I know you. It looks like you placed the lineup sixty seventh in uh, in the yeah. milli. I want to say I lost about five hundred bucks in the milli. Um, but, uh, my biggest sweat was in the afternoon slate. For a little while, I was looking really live to win two hundred thousand in the afternoon slate, and I just needed Stefan Diggs to do something in the last in basically the second half, and he did nothing. Uh, and then other people went off just at the end, and I ended up getting seventh with a completely different lineup than the one that I thought was live. So I ended up <laughs> having a fine day overall, but uh, I think I think I probably lost a little bit of money when you factor in because I lost a couple thousand on FanDuel, lost a couple thousand on Yahoo. So I think overall I was down a little bit on the day, but not a terrible day. I was close enough a couple spots. Yeah, I ended up minus 12%. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, I was probably similar. Right, it, re- it really came. It really came down to uh, Fanduel. I mean, David Montgomery let me down. Right, I didn't play much. I didn't play any David Montgomery in my eight GPP lineups, but I mean, he was a staple of my cash lineup on both sites. And then Christian, and then Christian Kirk on Fanduel. I didn't play him on DraftKings, so it's like I lost a little money on DraftKings. I made a little money on. I, I swept in cash on 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 DraftKings. Just that Fanduel kind of kind of let me down. And then the afternoon slates kind of lopsided, and then I, I made, I pretty much made all my money back in GPP, 
because uh, I came in like what twenty something in the double spy. Like I put in like like it was like eleven hundred dollars worth of GPP entries, and I got back I I think twelve hundred total or eleven forty five or so, some something marginal, and then it was all the cash stuff, and I I, I won I, I won like seventy percent of my head to heads, but I nice. missed some I missed like one or two of the high stakes double ups. Ah. But uh, but yeah, I I didn't play any Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I, I played a fair amount. I think I was maybe even above the field slightly on Jonathan Taylor. I get it. I, I listened to your show this morning where you're talking about the play and that you just preferred getting to expensive wide receivers. And I get that if you're only playing a handful of lineups. But in 150, I mean, I think Jonathan Taylor was live to score 40 fantasy points, in which case you would need him. So I had a fair amount. But uh, yeah, I. I didn't go too crazy with Jonathan Taylor. Um, did you play any Alvin Kamara? No, I was try- I was avoiding playing. The- Dalvin Cook was the highest priced running back that I was yeah. that I was playing because I-, I had him projected well compared to the ownership, especially in the higher stakes contests. Uh, and-, and it could have been Kamara. I think Kamara was underowned also in that range. It's just that I was prioritizing the the higher priced wide receivers or at least the 7k like aj brown and uh and mike evans justin jefferson obviously jefferson and cup but i was just i was trying to jam in cheaper running backs like can can it keyshawn vaughn like singletary vaughn gibson sony michelle who didn't 20 for 39 or whatever right i played patrick taylor in two lineups Sing, I mean, I I I, pri- I prioritize Singletary only because he was in the late games. Yeah. Right. So it's like I now I can ma- I can make more switches if I have Singletary and Cup in lineups. It's like I could I could do anything I want at that point. And then uh, then defensively, I mean, I thought you know the Cardinals defense. Like I I played a, a, a in my eight lineups, I think I played like six out of eight Cardinals defense because the Browns were going to be so chalky it's and the Cardinals were one hundred more. Uh, yeah. So, like, I didn't really worry that much about defense. I mean, you could have gone down to the Dolphins, and they did well, and the and the Washington football team was fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not, like, out of the eight GPP lineups I made, I'm not, except for one. I, I fucked up on one. I, I If you take a look in the Millie, there's one lineup that I have Kirk Cousins unstacked with C.J. Uzuma in the, it's a, it's a dummy, it's a, it's a, I, I got to, the, I forgot about it. Like, I was doing my lineups, and I didn't realize that that, like I thought that was a Kirk Cousins Jefferson lineup that I made and then I just entered it and you know whatever and it was like like why where's Jefferson in this lineup and why is so how, how did here? that lineup even get made did did you just put in random players or was it like a lineup generator did that for you No no I just put in random players Oh okay right, right. But, but I usually, random play I'm talking about like on Tuesday before right yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you put, you put, you, you just I'm gonna put some whatever whatever it shows. Typically, I change the quarterback. In whatever lineup, just so I could say, oh, this is my cash lineup. This is my this DG people, and they're highlighted by quarterback, so I know which ones are which. So I don't change them all the players in the lineups, but just that one. I made a Kirk Cousins lineup, Cousins Jefferson Conklin lineup, and I thought when I saw Kirk Cousins that that lineup was already made with that. That was that lineup, okay, and okay. it wasn't. So technically, I only made seven GPP lineups plus that lineup. Because I yeah. thought that that was a lineup that was that was already made, and it and it cashed, and it actually and it ca- and it cashed oh, in wow. the middle. <laughs> nice, <laughs> right? It cashed even with the Uzuma zero that you know, I don't even think he played. 
Yeah, I have no idea if he played. Right. I wasn't caring about the Bengals anyway. Yeah. Uh, But we're done done with football. I mean, uh, I didn't have a good football season. I did only because of uh, Showdown and Yahoo, but otherwise on on main slates it was pretty. I had you know I had weeks where I got close, like I felt like I played relatively well for the most part. But yeah, you, you need you need one to break through, and on main slates on DraftKings and FanDuel, that just didn't happen for me. Right, saying so neither neither. For, I mean, I played the single entry three max mostly, and it's like I think I got a seventeenth once. I got I the. Or, I mean, I didn't, obviously, you need to win something. I mean, like, it really yeah. comes down to you just, like, one of these lineups needs to win something, and it I didn't. Mean, <laughs> I mentioned the one that I was, I thought I was going to win. I was live to win 200,000 yesterday, ended up in seventh place. That was 4,000. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So, it's more top-heavy than ever. Uh, but now but now we're getting into into basketball. Yeah. You now, ready? How, how, do I, how do I prep? Okay, you're going to have to teach me, because I haven't played NBA DFS in, in over two months. In about two months, okay. maybe. Uh, what 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 should my prep? I this is what I plan. Okay, let me tell you what my plans are. Let's hear it. Okay, and you tell me if this this aligns with what's going on in NBA DFS. I'm just going to play like a, maybe ten to twenty lineups. No, you're already off. You got to play 150. No, why do I have to play 150? Because <laughs> it's more fun. No, it's not more fun. All right, it's more fun for me. I'm gonna right, go no, on, I, go on. Play 10 to 20 lineups, large field contests. Yep. So play the main main GPP, but play 10 to 20 so that I I don't have to have a major rebuilding process like every half an hour where it's less like, let me just play the best 10 lineups that I can at 6.55 p.m. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, not, I'm only investing if it's a $15 contest. I'm only investing 150 bucks, so 150 to 300 bucks. So sure. nothing... So if for whatever reason, like I miss something, oh, this guy's in and this guy's out and I miss it. Like, what's the worst case scenario? I don't have a portfolio of 2,000 to 3,000 lineups. Yeah, but regardless of how many lineups you're playing, the biggest edge in NBA DFS right now is reacting to news, usually after lock. So I feel like that's uh, you're going to want to be at your computer anyway, and you're going to want to be paying attention to news if you're planning to be a plus EV NBA DFS player. Yeah, but I could do that in 10 to 20 lineups easier than I... That to yeah. me, I could take advantage. I'll take advantage of the same edge, but in twenty lineups, rather than having to worry about rebuilding one hundred and fifty of them. Okay. Well, you were just talking about not paying attention to the news and skipping out. So. No, but I'm saying, but what's that the worst? If I fuck something yeah. up, what's the worst thing that happens? Is that that I lose point nothing, something very smaller of my bankroll than one sure. percent of my bankroll? Well, so for me, in NBA DFS, more so than any other sport, I think. I'm mostly focusing when I'm creating my player pools, I'm limiting the number of players I get from one team, but I'm mostly, especially on larger slates, focusing on just getting exposures to players that I like exposure percentages to players. I'm not focusing as much on individual correlations within lineups. Maybe, maybe you are, and that's maybe that's why you need to limit your number of lineups because in NBA DFS, you're focused on maximizing your correlations and the, the EV of each lineup. Whereas I'm, just throw in 150 out there, and I'm focusing on getting exposure percentages that I like for individual players, and I'm limiting the number of players I get from certain teams. And I set some groups to make sure I don't get, you know, just the starting backup center from the same team, that kind of thing. I set some groups, but for the most part, I feel like it's easy to just use late swap optimizer and 
I can change my 150 set pretty easily. I don't think it takes that much more effort. Well, it takes um, more effort yeah. from me because I mean, I I factor in where what the point totals they're they're at already. Like the only time I ever yeah. use a, a late swap tool for I mean, understand that typically in NBA I never played 150 to begin with. I would play 60 to 80, you know, something like some a thousand dollars worth of entries or something like that. So if it's a fifteen dollar contest, I'm playing like sixty entries. Uh, and the only time I would use a late the the late swap tool is if something happened enough where I. I want to jam in guys like where, where something happens. Seven thirty news comes out that in the eight, eight o'clock game X, Y, and Z are out. And this $4,200 guard is like the, is a median is 10 X. And it's just like whatever lineup he could fit in, just fit like, like, like it, that I don't have to worry about caring about exposure. Like I don't, I don't want to worry about caring about exposures and stuff like that, that if, if there's something worth playing, I'm probably going to try to play them in all of my lineups or as many of my lineups as possible. And if there's nothing like that, then I, I don't want to use a late swap tool because then now I have to decide on how much of this guy do I want? How do they fit yeah. into these lineups? And then I end up not playing. It it, it essentially screws up the leverage of mm -hmm. my, like I've always, I've always found with late swap other than the times where I'm just jamming a guy that if we knew this news beforehand, the guy would be 80% owned and he's going to yeah. be like 22% owned. And it's like, just, I don't, at this point, I don't even care about anything. So I, I build my lineups in a way where it's like the reason I'm playing X, Y, and Z together is because the total lineup ownership works out that that lineup is properly leveraged for the contest. And then once I start using the late swap tool, like that, all, all that type of stuff kind of gets thrown out the door and I end up with lineups where it's like, yeah, you got more of this guy, but then you got the like the four chalk players together in that lineup also, and it's like right. the, at the end, I I would look at my lineups at the, my I would look at my sixty to eighty lineups at the end of doing a whole ton of late swap throughout the course of the night, compare to projection, and go go. Had I known this information when I'm late and swapping, like half my lineups are like end up being almost too chalky, and then half my lineups end up being like like almost horribly projected because it doesn't have any of those guys. It becomes this, it separates like that. And I feel like I can control that better with 10 to 20 lineups because yeah. worst case scenario, I could, I could just do everything, man. I could just go through like, just like I did this past slate with James Conner. It's like, I got Singletary, I got Cup. I, I go through the lineups and go, okay, I'm going to move this guy down move this guy up. I got Connor there. Okay. Go to the next lineup. It's like eight lineups. I, I mean, I did that in, in the span of like four minutes for NFL so in NBA, 20 lineups I could do, I could do in any type of situation where it's like, oh, now this guy opened up. He's a little bit better value. He's not the greatest value, but the better value. And then I just start, and then I go, well, if I'm going to play that guy, like I don't need to now play the, 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 the contrarian stud. I can now move to James Harden in the guard spot. And, mm -hmm. and then like, I could, it feels like I can control that better. Whether yeah, or not that sure. control is worth anything is yeah. is subjective like that? It's well, I'm guessing that your your ten to twenty lineups are more positive EV than my lineup set. But then, I mean, we we've, we had this conversation the first time I was on your show. You said that you you kind of consider those dead lineups just loss leaders, and that's kind of how I approach it. Like, sure, I'm in my 150 set. I probably am making some negative EV lineups, but I'm going to be able to throw out more positive EV lineups by throwing out 150 and just using the late swap tool. And I mean, you, you sound like you're only making late swaps if there are big edges to be had, but I feel like, no, I make late swaps. I, no, 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 no. I make late swaps okay. all the time. 
Okay. But the All problem right. is that every late swap that I make in a late swap tool, the liners get further and further away from the projection versus ownership that I originally was intending for. That's why it's like I started to do less late swap and use use late swap more for Jimmy Butler and Adebayo's at like everyone's out for a team. And it's like, now it's just like, everyone's the best value. Yeah. And then I could just say, just give me as much, whatever lineups it could fit in, just give me all of it. And then I don't have to, cause I'm, I don't have to care about the ownership. I know they're going to be lower on than they should be. Cause it's late news. And I know that they project to be the best values on the entire slate. So like to me, the efficient ownership is near a hundred. So if I get a hundred, so I don't have to I I don't have to care about any of the any of the other whoever fits in the rest of the lineups fucking do that that's perfectly fine but I feel like an NBA that's not the that's not common like stuff opens up but you don't get those jam type of players player projected for twenty two and now it projects for twenty five right I feel like it's easy for me to take advantage of that you know little jump with with late swap I think it's easy enough to do um, but. You know, I get it. You, you want to make the most positive of your lineups possible, and I'm I'm more willing to accept that some of my lineups are going to end up being negative EV, probably too chalky. But you know, I'm still factoring in. I, I factored in the ownership in creating my original sets and in changing altering projections before lock. Typically, is is where I do most of my altering of projections to factor in where I want my exposures to be relative to ownership. And then after lock, it's it's generally easier because I've got you know those those changes are still there for the guys whose projections were already you know set. And then I just need to change the the team that we got news for. I just kind of go through that one team and look through their projections. Okay. Uh, so it's a little bit easier because you're changing the actual projection of the players, right? Yes. So you're manipulating that to begin with. Yes. Yep. So I guess that's just the way I play NBA DFS is also, I think, pretty unique, different than most people. So it makes it relatively easy to do late swap, too. Right, because I'm not manipulating the player projections. I'm manipulating the ownership projections. Yep, right. So for me, I need that field. And then if I try to late swap and I say, well, I want to I want to change all my lineups, but I don't want to have a, a lineup that has more than X amount of ownership. I start getting fucking shit fucking gets fucked yep. up. Very and I don't do anything with that. I don't, right. I don't do anything with making sure individual lineups are under a certain amount of ownership. I just make sure I get exposures that I like and assume that the optimizer is going to give me enough positive EV lineups. Okay. But you can see my but, point of view. I mean, my point yeah. of view is just I'd rather have 20 great lineups than 150 lineups, and hopefully 100 of them are, are, are okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> And scattershot and whatever. I, I understand. I, yeah, I do right. understand what you're trying to do. You're making the most positive EV lineups by looking at each one individually, which is what I used to do. And I mean, I used to put a lot higher percentage of my lineups into the top 1%, but I'm more profitable now as, you know. Right. In uh, raw money, you're more profitable. In raw money, I'm more right. profitable. So that's, yeah. Right. And the MLB, I don't mind doing that. Like MLB, I'm going to be, I'll play 150, no problem. I mean, because what, even if you are late swapping, you're, you're playing teams, you're playing combinations yeah, right. of four and five guys. Like I, it's not one of these I hate late swap for MLB. I, just, I wish I'd have all the lineups ahead of time for MLB. That's it's the most frustrating thing when things change or lineups come out different than projected in MLB, because it's, it's a lot harder for me to late swap. You, you find it differently. You prefer late swap in MLB. No, no, I don't. I mean, I don't mind late swap in MLB, oh, okay. but like I typically, I do my late swaps in MLB manually. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know, like, even, even if I'm playing, like, obviously we're talking about the West Coast teams, 
right? Yeah. The Dodgers lineup, you're playing a ton, ton of the Dodgers. Angels, a lot of the time. Yeah. Right. And then a lineup comes out, and it's like, uh, you know, Chris Taylor's in and not whoever. And there's yeah. a different price. And, yeah. right, a different, that uh, Will Smith's not in, it's Austin Barnes, right, right. a catcher. And I have, like, out of 150 lineups, I have 12 Will Smiths. And it's like, instead of me rebuilding all of my lineups, I just load my lineups in and I just find go sort by Will Smith lineups. And I literally just, Will Smith to Austin Barnes, because I still want to maintain the Dodgers stack. You might you might have to teach me how to do that, to switch, to, to search by lineups. Are you talking about doing that within DraftKings or FanDuel? Or? No, I do that in Lineup HQ in okay. Roto Grinders. So you load that, load it in, and you sort. You just click on the guy's name, and it just shows you those lineups that are there. And then I can click the the manual swap and go swap. You know, Will Smith is forty six hundred, and Austin Barnes is thirty one hundred. So it's like okay, swap. And now I have fifteen hundred dollars left, and then it's like, what's my one off? Oh, I have a forty two hundred dollar one off. Well, I can yeah. bump him up to Juan Soto at fifty seven hundred. Boom, done. And I go to the I, think, I, I just go actually, to the next lineup and next line and like take out Will Smith. And maybe this lineup doesn't have Corey Seager or something. Okay, let me switch out the shortstop, and now I have the cheap catcher in there. And like, I think like, you actually just solved the problem for me. I think I know how to do it now. Okay. Uh, you could probably do that. Fantasy Cruncher, you could probably do that yeah, that yeah, way, I can, right? I can totally just sort by lineups with, with that player and then delete all the other lineups for sure. So it should be it should actually be relatively right. easy. I mean, I, fi- I find that easier than trying to rebuild the lineups. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then also, once you start rebuilding the lineups, everything everything you planned in the beginning gets all fucked up anyway, right? Yeah. Next thing you know, you have sixty percent of some fucking pitcher that, but that's the only way you could fit. Once Austin, but once you could put Austin Barnes in and you have fifteen hundred dollars left, it's now not giving you the the seventy five hundred dollar pitcher. It's giving you the nine thousand dollar pitcher, and you're like, yep. "What do I have this much Dallas Keuchel or something?" Right. <laughs> but that's the but to me that's to me that's the prop. That to me it's that. Like and in NBA you're going to be doing that. Like to me, every time you 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 do a late swap of all of your lineups in whatever tool you use, it tends to get further and further away from the original like strategy that you were using on the slate to begin with. And you, to me, you're compounding things. Now, obviously, if you're jamming in guys that are underowned and their projection goes up, you're making up a lot of that because a lot of the field isn't late swapping enough. For right. those guys, so your projection is getting higher on these lineups compared to the rest of the field. But yeah. I, I feel as if the I feel like I'm out of control. Like the by the time I get to the end, I've had NBA slaves. So by the time I get to the end, I have no idea who the fucks in my lineups. I just like I, yeah. I don't even I don't even know what's going on. And then like I originally had like twenty percent of some guy Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal goes off for 72 points, and I go, I go, where's my Bradley Beal lineups? And I have him in two of 150. I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? It's because he didn't project that well to begin with. I was playing him as a leverage play, and now that the optimizer is just trying to jam in projected points, unless I specifically went in and say, Get, leave me with at least 20% Bradley Beal, it's just going to go, fuck you. And by the time you get to the end, it's like, if I would just would have left my lineups the way they were, they would have been better. <laughs> they, yeah. Or if I would have just went in and manually, and like if I knew my Beal lineups would end up not non-existing anymore, I would have just gone in and just manually swapped. And once I think like that, I'm like, imagine trying to manually swap 150 lineups. I can't do that, but I could do 10 to 20. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I get that. And I, 
I mean, over the course of the evening, you know, you can eliminate the games that have already started. So you're only looking at a, a certain number of players. You're only looking at the players remaining. And I'm still doing the same math of checking their exposures uh, or, or their uh, projected ownership versus what I am getting to and making the decisions of, am I happy with this? Do I want to jam in a player? Um, so I think the math for me kind of stays the same. Eventually, I do start sometimes looking at individual lineups. Uh, and, and if I if I'm doing well in the early slate, in particular, if the players that I need to do well are already doing well, then I drastically, you know, I, I lowered my randomness a lot. So I'm just mm. getting to the top projected lineups essentially. Uh, and I, you know, if originally I will have said I want to have at least two different players in each lineup, so each lineup has at least two v two difference. Mm. Uh, I'll take that away at the end to just kind of if, if I'm doing well to make sure that I'm getting to the best possible lineup. So, um, so I think that I'm still I'm, I'm still playing the same way. I'm still making the same decisions of where do I want my exposures to be versus ownership as the night goes on. And of course the ownership is going to be less correct throughout the night after, right. after a player's ruled out and stuff. But then I guess that's when I start doing my own mental math of what, what, what is it actually going to be here and what do I want to be at? But in a weird, in a weird way I'm doing, I'm trying most of the stuff that I do in DFS is to be directionally accurate. Yep. And in this case, I'm leaning towards the precise side Right. While you're doing the direction, like me, I'm going. Well, dire- what you're doing is directionally a- is directionally accurate, but not as precise as what I'm doing in yep. ten to twenty exactly. lineups. So, yep. like, like should should I? Even if I've just played twenty lineups, should I just be just doing that process and just and screwing it? I mean, if you can, why not hand build them? Why not go through individually and change each individual lineup? It's a pain. That's I mean, that's a pain in the ass. NBA DFS yeah. is a pain in the ass to begin with, right? It is. It's a pain in the ass, but it can be a lot of fun if you have a sweat. If well, if you have a sweat, and then you win. Well, obviously, <laughs> that's always a lot a of fun. Lose, yeah. right? Yeah, I guess that's the only real. But fun. I'm dreading it. I'm not playing. I'm not playing tonight, but I'll probably play Tuesday night. Okay. Uh, I'm dreading it. Yeah, it, it's very different than NFL in a lot of ways. That I can't quite pinpoint, but it, it feels different to me. It feels more, I mean, it's a lot more chaotic for one thing than NFL. But is that, I, yeah, it's less stressful for me, actually, I think, than, than NFL DFS is. Why? Because NFL DFS, I don't know, because I feel like NFL DFS, I'm making adjustments and like thinking a lot more deeply. I think because the projections are better for NBA. So I think NBA, I rely a lot more on projections, and NFL, I rely a lot more on thinking harder about what the field's going to do and where the projections might not factor in uh, some some decisions that might be made and some things that could happen. So I think because the NBA, I rely on the projections more, I think it's less stressful for me. That, how, how, how would you classify MLB, though? I consider MLB the oh. least stressful. I agree, 100%. MLB is super easy. <laughs> and no, MLB, MLB, I, MLB, I feel like I could show up 10 minutes before the slate and build 150 yeah. good lineups. I've done that, yeah. Right. I, mean, I, mean, I don't I just, know if they're all good, but yeah, right. But yeah. I'm just saying, I feel I yeah. feel like like I'm not stressed. To, I mean, like, I, why am I bothering looking at a slate until like most of the lineups yeah. are in? And I, I don't until the last hour before the slate right. starts. I think typically, yeah. and then you're just playing teams, and then it's just like I yeah. just I'm playing teams, yep. and just like I want a bunch of these, you know, five man, four three ones, and whatever, whatever comes out, I you know. I don't want this much of this picture and that much of this picture. I condense my pool and just like run it, right? Just yep. like 
uniques, you know, three or something like that, and just fucking whatever the fuck I get, and then upload it, and there you go. NBA, like NBA, I'm NBA, dude. Whatever I do, like, like whatever I do at six o'clock is going to be. I may have to redo at six thirty. I may have to redo at six fifty. Yep. Seven o'clock hits, and then I may have to redo stuff at seven thirty. I read like you're in a constant state of what do I have to do? Yep. And MLB, it feels like I could do that all at once in about fifteen minutes, maybe max. Yep. And then I'm then I'm then there'll be a lineup that comes out late that you didn't expect, but yeah. Right, but other than but that, I don't I don't even mind because worst case scenario, global swap. Right. What's say because yeah. especially with batters, like it's not linear based projections. It's not like the NBA where it's like. Well, a guy at 4,200 has a certain value. It's like, dude, anyone could go 0 for 5 in any baseball game. So yeah. if, if, you, if you have, uh, if, if, you, if you played, Will, if Will Smith is in your lineup and now it, it's Austin Barnes and you just want a global swap and leave $1,500 on the table, that isn't that big of a deal in, in MLB DFS, right? right? To leave that much money on the table. In NBA, you probably don't want to leave that much money on the table. No, yeah, it's rarely going to work out in NBA. Right, so you're not going to be agree. you're not going to be doing those swaps. So like there have been there have been plenty of times the Angels lineups come out and it's like Justin Upton isn't in. It's like and he's like 3300 and it's like guess I'm playing Juan Lagares instead in all those lines. It's just like it's just like as long as what what are the Brandon Marsh or whoever. It's like yeah, but not you can even swap above the salary. That's right. Super frustrating for me on DraftKings that you can't do that. If you do have a left on the table, you can't swap from a $3,300 player to a $3,500 player, but that's neither here nor there. Just a, just a frustration of mine. But I, but I find it's just as easy to just go in and do late, late swap, typically. Even um, with just a one-player swap like that? I don't want it to rebuild all my lineups. Yeah, no, I guess you're right. I, I, do, I do do that sometimes. I do some where I go through and individually... Because, like, it, let's, say, let's say in that specific case... You went in and said you X'd out Will Smith and you Austin Barnes is now has the check mark and has a you know five point eight point projection, and then you use all you say like I still want fifteen percent Dodger stacks, like it's just gonna it's gonna change all your lot. I mean like like it's yeah. gonna change everything that you just did. I mean it's gonna change right. everything. Yeah, yeah. In MLB, I am more likely to just make that swap. Although it, sometimes I mean. Sometimes you can't swap within the same team, I guess. So those are the, like, if, if it goes from you were projecting Austin Barnes to be in and then Will Smith comes in, that right. happens where you can't do that. And then it's, then it might be worth it to use late swap optimizer. But yeah, you're right. But even now, I'll find another punt catcher. So I have a, so now, now it's a 4-3-1 lineup instead of a 5-3 lineup. I mean, like, yeah. to me in baseball, to me, the thing is, is that in baseball, it doesn't matter as much, right? Yeah. In NFL, you would never like, okay, I'm going to swap this guy out and now not have a stack. Like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. I'm just playing Kirk Cousins with C.J. Uzoma, for example. Right, right. That's exactly right. Exactly. That's what I'm right. Yeah. Kirk, naked Kirk Cousins for no apparent reason. Yeah. Right. You're right. And I and I think the late swap in NFL is less stressful because it happens at one time. Like, like this past slate, seven games and then six games. A lot of times it's just only three games at the, at the late yeah, yeah. set. But it's kind of like you don't have to – it's not like every half an hour, or every hour, every you know, all this NBA news. It's like okay, the game's at four twenty-five Eastern, which means the inactives come come out at you know at at two fifty-five p.m. Yeah. and I get to see if James Conner's in. I get to see if Robbie Anderson's in, and then I don't even have to rush to my computer. It's like let me wait. I, there's still the third quarter's going on in games, 
So it's like, I don't know what I need to late swap in any of my lineups until I see what the hell happens. And then at yeah. like 4.15, you could do it. And you have all the information at once, and you have all six games to, to swap to. And then you could just do it like that. To me, it's 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 less, you, you consider it more stressful? Maybe it's because I'm more emotionally invested. Now that I'm thinking about it, it shouldn't be more stressful. You're right. It should not be. It's just, it's probably because I'm sweating the games as I'm, as I'm doing it in the afternoon and just leading up to lock. I'm doing, I'm also doing, I think more lineups typically for NFL. Like I said, I'm doing. You're doing multiple sites also. Yeah, I do. I do FanDuel. I do DraftKings. I do Yahoo. I try to do Super Draft. I try to chase that overlay. I usually miss by like seconds, but I try to do to add in Super Draft last minute. So, uh, yeah, that, that's probably part of it. Just that I'm doing so many lineups and trying to, you know, make stacks. And then, am I going to run out this quarterback naked? Am I going to require two pass catches with this quarterback? There's just a lot more rules for me in NFL, like stuff that I have to do manually than in NBA where I'm, if I didn't change the projections at all, I would probably not lose much of my EV. It was, you know, just make 150 lineups based on good projections. You can still do fine probably. Yeah. But I, as far as the stress is turn, I would, I would consider that at least in NFL, you're just, you're doing it all at once. Yeah, that's true. Like you just do like it. I don't mind if, if I had 150 a million lineups, 300 lineups, multiple sites, like compared to NBA, like in NFL, I have no problem. Like <coughs> I have no problem. Like okay, let me sit down at four o'clock. I have a half an hour or whatever, or whatever time, and go. Okay, let me ha- take care of my DK lineups. Late swap, late swap, late swap. Rebuild. Let me take a Fanduel. Late swap, rebuild. Let me go like that, and then it's like once I'm done with that, upload the thing. Four twenty-five, done. But like NBA is like. Like, dude, I, I I've had I've had nights where I I've I've uploaded my CSV twelve times. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, twelve like legitimately twelve, not like well, well, I'm second guess. Like, legitimately, it locks, and then at like seven oh five, some news comes out, and I'm like, well, the seven thirty game is starting, so now I got to re re do this, and then at seven eighteen, another piece of news comes out. It's like what yeah. I just did, I need to redo again, and then upload it by the seven thirty game, and then by seven fifty. Paul George may be sitting. It's like, okay, well, now I got him set up that, like, and it's just by the time he, and then by the time he get to the end, I, people, I'll, I'll go on the pregame show uh, in the morning and people are like, uh, why'd you only have 12% of that guy? I have no idea. I can't even answer this goddamn question. I know. I have no yeah. idea. I don't know why my exposures were where they were. I really, I have no fucking clue. The only exposures that in the seven o'clock game is the only thing that I could explain because they got locked immediately. And, it's, and then people say, oh, you, you were concerned that you played X percent of the guy in the early game because you were waiting for news. It's like, uh, waiting for news we didn't even know three of the things would even happen so i yeah, yeah no i wasn't able to swap to that guy because i had so much malcolm brogdon in the pacers game or something like that but outside of that it gets to the end and i'm like why do i have 26 percent damien lee and i'm like i i, I don't know because <laughs> he fit in the small forward slot and i was just trying to jam in this other guy in yeah. and he fit and he no, fit <laughs> right and you have 26 percent of a guy that's like two percent owned yeah and they're all like, "What did you see in Damian Lee?" It's like, like originally nothing, because originally I, originally I had zero of him. I didn't even, have, I did not even have any of him, right? And I ended up with him in now a quarter of my lineups. And now I have to explain on a morning show why that happened. It's like, well, that's what happens when you late swap twelve times in a night, 
and you're stuck with the Warriors at the end and a small forward spot you need to fill. And then just like whatever 4K small forward fits, that's what it gave me. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. So just don't do a morning show so you don't have to explain yourself. It's a lot easier that way. <laughs> that's the answer. That's the answer. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> well, then I come on here and you ask me about my Jawan Winfrey. So I guess I'm feeling it now, too. Yeah, but I mean, but you at least acknowledge it that it was a mistake. Oh, yeah, it was just an error. Right. I mean, I, I played to Michael Hasty on purpose. So, so right. Well, that, well, that at least that makes sense. It's like, okay, explain. you explained that. But yeah. the fact that you had fourteen percent Juwan Winfrey and sixteen percent Equinemi is St. Brown, but yeah. like that's thirty percent of your fucking lineups. They're probably in some lineups together. Oh yeah, maybe you're not. right. If they maybe not because I didn't do any Packers stacks or Lions stacks. So right, it could have just been totally different lineups. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, see, that's the that's the thing that that stresses me out. Yeah. Of like, how have thirty percent of my lineups that I can't explain why they look the way they do, and 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 if you looked at them, you'd be like, I would have played this lineup. It's like, well, you played thirty percent of them. I mean, like, well, I also, and, and I got to those guys because I did want to have some of them. So like, I didn't think that they were dead plays. I thought there was some potential that you know the Packers would sit Devonte Adams and just play the backup receivers because sometimes it seems like to do that, you know. Give, give the backup receivers some run with the starting quarterback mm. uh, or vice versa. Give the backup quarterback run with the starting wide receivers. So I thought that there was some potential. And then we got, we got the news that uh, MVS was sitting, I believe. Mm. So, so there were, you know, they weren't complete dead plays. They just were plays that I wanted to have four or 5% maybe and not 15%. Right. Yeah. You had, zero, you had no Alan Lazard. Right. Yeah. Right. The one that I wanted. Yeah. No, oh, did, oh, did you actually, did you want Alan Lazard? He put up 24 fantasy points. I know, but no, you no, had no. zero. You, I, I'm talking about yeah, originally. No, no, no. I was not targeting him at all. Oh, okay. But the one that I should have targeted. Or, or Josiah DeGuerra or whatever his name is. Also oh, the tight end. 60-yard touchdown, yeah. That was frustrating. But it seems like you have no problem like like saying, oops, that yeah. was an error, and just moving on. Yeah, loss leaders. <laughs> yeah, see, that. See that's that's that. it's hard for me to... It's hard for me to go, I have lineups that I know are bad that yeah. I just make are bad. Like, that's why I, I'd rather have 60 to 80 lineups that are good. I mean, and it's if, funny. it kills me if I have a player who's actually out. Like, if I, if I play a lineup and then the player gets hurt on the first play of the game, that I really dislike. Or, or if, like, accidentally have a player who is ruled out, that really bothers me. But having too much of a player that I think, he could go off at no ownership. That doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, it bothers. If, if I'm doing something that I don't realize that I'm doing, that you like would an, advise somebody else to do. Yeah, right. Yeah. I would. Right. I, I like. I, I if I because I could just look at a, a singular lineup and go, "Is this a good lineup for this contest?" And if my answer yeah. is no, then like, why am I playing this? Like, then why am I playing it? Like, like the whole point of using a tool like Lineup HQ or Fantasy Cruncher or whatever is for efficiency to build the lineups that you would have built yourself. Just it's easier to build 150 quicker this way, but if you looked at each individual line, it'd be like, okay, 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 okay. Like you'd, you'd some of them you'd be like, I never thought of that, but that that seems pretty good. That seems pretty good. And maybe there are some lineups with Jawan Winfrey that are like, well, you needed a 3K punt, and why not take a shot at one percent owned? Okay, I. But but if I looked at that lineup and it had Juwan Winfrey as well as like three other one percent owned guys, and and like I would look and go, well, why am I doing this? Like why, why like why don't I play just play Cooper Cup in this lineup? Why am I playing Jamar Chase in this line? Why why am I doing all this in this one particular lineup? And then I just like I that lineup I don't like. And then once I go through them, this is what I mean by NBA is that 
Like when I would play 60 to 80 lineups and I would look at some of them at the end of doing a bunch of late swaps, I look through and it's like half my lineups. I'm like, if someone asked me if this was a good lineup, I'd tell them no. Like, like, like objectively, yes, all the players individually are fine. But in this combination, if I would have known all the information I know now at 1030 Eastern, whatever, when the last game locks, like I wouldn't have played this line. I would, I wouldn't have made my lineup look like this. Like, but in the very beginning, like I can make my lineups look whatever way they want. And I feel much more, if I do it manually, I don't get in those, those positions where I have lineups that look like, like cash lineups and look one lineups that look like they're, they're 38 points off the fucking optimal. And it's just that because I'm building like that, that to me, that's what happens is yeah. that I, the lineups start getting, I have a projection versus ownership range that I have in the beginning. And then as I late swap, like, I want all of my lineups in this little range. And now I end up with almost no lineups in that range. I have 40 lineups above it and 40 lineups below it because I'm jamming in stuff up and down. And then I look at both. I look at out of my 60 lineups. I'm like 50 of them suck. And it doesn't matter what the results yeah. were. I just look at objectively and go, it's go right. It's a, it's just, it's either, it's either, it's either over owned or under projected. And I think that sometimes I can, I can somewhat control for that just by paying attention to uh, the projections as they were. So I, I pay attention to where Osmo's projections come in at and the salaries. So like, for example, if there's a player that was 3,200 and Osmo hasn't projected for eight fantasy points uh, and then Joan Winfrey is 3,000, I won't project I'll, I'll try not to and i mean sometimes i will but generally if i don't want a ton of juan winfrey i'll still project him lower than the guy that Osmo has higher projected right um or that's more expensive so that i'm still going to typically be getting more of the higher projected player unless i unless i don't want to do that um and then typically i will only get to juan winfrey if i don't have enough salary left in my lineup to get to Deontay Harris or whoever the, right. the players that projected a little bit more at a little bit higher. So typically the first lineup that will be created will have the higher salary, higher projected player, or, or just the, if they're the same salary, the higher projected player, the, the player that Osimo has higher projected or the one that, you know, I, I'd rather get in there. I will project slightly better. So typically uh, I'll, I'll be getting to him in the lineup or I'll be getting to the Jawan Winfrey lineups in the lineups that also have Cooper cup and the, you know, the players that are projected the best at the top. So I'm, I'm always paying attention to making sure that the best plays are still the top projected as I am adjusting my projections so that it, so that I don't run into the issue as much of just getting random a hundred different 1% plays that don't project well, because right. it's the, the optimizer is still going to be trying to give me, you know, the top projected lineups. So, right. And I'm, I'm hacking through that by, by doing, using ownership for that purpose. Right. Right. Yeah. Because obviously the lower the lower on players are typically the the lower projected players also, so yeah, it's like exactly. so right. So if I if if I don't want if for for whatever reason like let's say there's some chalky player, some player that projects well that I want less of, like you on your end if you wanted less of them without having to to tweak exposure percentages, and you just wanted to get less of them, you'd decrease their projection by two points. Yep. And that means yeah. you'll get less of him. What I would do, if I were to hack that way, let's say uh, he's projected uh, 22% owned, I'd bump him up to 28% owned, which means right, I'll get right. less of him because now I'll start getting less of him because now he becomes more over-owned. 
which yeah. means he doesn't fit into my range of of lineups less because projection versus ownership. So we're essentially yeah. we're essentially doing the same thing. Yeah, we're just coming at it from different directions. Coming at right from different directions, but I try to keep the ownership as I try to be as accurate as possible with the ownership, and yeah. that's where that's where uh, me not getting Jonathan Taylor in any of my lineups is because. I had Jonathan Taylor compared to ownership. I had Cooper Cup more under owned than Jonathan Taylor, right? And they're both obviously different positions. But I had more running. I had running backs like Cook, Gibson, Michelle under owned at running back. While Jonathan Taylor, I didn't have as like totally over owned. But there were so many running backs that were under owned, and Cooper Cup at twenty seven hundred. I as I had as under owned. Which means if I went through lineup HQ, like, that's why I don't get, like, I build 50 lineups and I get no Jonathan Taylor because I'm looking for a certain ownership range. And it's like, well, I'm going to give you Keyshawn Vaughn and Antonio Gibson and Cooper Cup because that has a higher projection for X ownership than Jonathan Taylor plus, you know, some, uh, you know, under-owned wide, so t- Tyler Lockett or something like that. Yeah. And that's the reason why I'm getting certain. But you could understand that in your case, uh, doing late swap would work more because you're yeah. just altering the actual projections, yeah. and you're not you're, you're not building lineups based on any type of ownership range. Yet it could be completely fucked up for me because if I keep the ownership range the way it is, it's going to try to jam in stuff that who knows what the hell is going to because it's like well right. it, you're trying to now jam in a guy that's seven percent owned. Right, because now this new value play comes up, and I—he's originally projected to be one percent owned, and now I'm like, based on this late swap, I think he's going to be bumped up to let's just say fifteen percent. Yeah. So now it's going to say, well, now that you've already gotten this guy at fifteen percent ownership, it has to jam in to fit in within that ownership range a lower owned player, and those lower owned players at this point, now that half the slate is gone, maybe five or six points lower projected. Than yeah. what it would have been in the beginning of the slate with more options, and now I'm yeah. starting now. By the t- now you can see by the end of it, yeah, like, that would be a lot tougher. Right. So in order for me to not have that not happen, I have to remove the ownership range. Now once yeah. I remove the ownership range, I start getting those way too chalky, way let way too low projected lineup. So it's like when I'm when I'm uh, doing everything very very much based on on total lineup ownership. It makes, obviously, now you can understand why I have a much more frustrating process with late swap than you do, because you're just like, once once lock hits, ownership could mean no fucks to you, and it's just like, whatever it jams in, it jams in, and just give me the highest projected lineups at this point, and and hopefully everything works out. Hopefully, everything works out. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But I... I used to do it a little bit more your way. I would change project. I because I, I think worrying so much about exposure percentages, especially in late swap, like it 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 breaks everything. Right? Imagine trying to have strict exposure percentages on sixty different oh, yeah. players. Like it just can't it can't mathematically do it. When it, I don't know what what happens in Fantasy Cruncher, but in Lineup HQ. It'll just say, uh, I could only rule 93 out of 150. Like, I'm, yeah, they, yeah, we get it. If you set your re- rules to restrictive, the same thing happens. Okay. But I think a lot of people do that. They go, I want to use all, this, all, the, all the 8 million settings that I had, 
and then do late swap on this. And it's like mathematically, it can't give you any of that based yeah. on the current way that your lineups are set up. Right? Oh, I, I want to jam in all the Kevin Durant now. It's like, dude, you have 80% Giannis. You can't, you can't do that because not it's not going to work. It's not going to allow you to do Mathematically, you can't do that. And I think that's that's where, but I that's where things go wrong. But since I'm focused so much on the ownership, I'm more likely to get. I've I've done that, like that. That's why it ends up. It's like okay, I want to st- still within this strict ownership percentage, and I have eighty lineups, and it goes could only build twenty two. Like why the fuck can it only build twenty two? All I'm doing is trying to jam in this guy. Nope, sorry, I can only build twenty two because it doesn't have the players to fit in. And then I'm going okay, let me increase the ownership range. I can only build 48. And then eventually I have to take it off. And then it's like, just fucking do something because I got three minutes, right? Just fucking, I don't care. Just give me a bunch of this guy and fucking move on with my day. And then at the end of the day, Bradley Beal goes off for 80 points and I have none of them. And I go, what, what? That was the main thing that I had in my lineups and now it's gone. Yeah. That's how we last week with Rashad Penny. I, I really liked Rashad Penny last week. Had a ton of my lineups and then late swapped so so i i mean i guess it's not the same thing that happened because i use a completely different process but just that i i lost a lot of a player that i really liked because then uh, i forget who it was who became a great play because he was kind of unexpected to come in uh last minute and then nobody had him so i was like okay i'll just i'll just go with the guy who projects extremely well now that nobody's playing and then of course he didn't do that well and i lost on my shot penny who went off so uh that was frustrating anyway no, last was, week was was, wasn't wasn't it wasn't last week what was it chase edmonds yeah, maybe. What was last was week? It Chase, was it James Conner ruled out? Or? Yeah, J- yeah, it was, it was Chase Edmonds because James Conner was ruled out. Okay, yeah, that's that's what it was. And, and some and people I, planned on that and play, and then he only only got 10 points. Yeah. And, and I, Rashad Penny I had, had like 30, right. I had a ton of him because I had – and it, I, I think it was also just me being – my lineups are kind of dead anyway, so I didn't give it as much thought as I might have otherwise because I didn't have – was it the Bengals stack? I think it was the Bengals right. stack that week. Yeah, Jamar Chase had 50-plus points. Yeah, so it was like, like I'm, you're not, not going to win without him, so anyway. fuck it. Right. So I'm just going to go with high projections. And Chase Edmonds projected way better, so I was just like, screw it. I'll just, rather than like lowering his projection like I normally would, so I wouldn't get to 70% or whatever, I was just like, I'll just go with it. I don't care. But then in doing that, I lost all of my Rashad Penny, who was a play that I was really on going in. So that was a frustrating slate. But uh, sort of sort of uh, unrelated to what you were saying, other than just late swap optimizer. Uh, giving me taking away the play that I really wanted does happen the way that I play too sometimes. Right, and and you could you could avoid that, but if you just have individually said, I want to make minimum exposure twenty percent, it's just that a yeah. lot of times you're not you can't in, do that you, in fantasy cruncher. You can't do that in fantasy cruncher. Yeah, there's there's no minimum. Really? Yeah. So there's something that lineup HQ has that fantasy cruncher doesn't have. There is. You can. Oh, you, you mean they did? You mean you mean they didn't just copy the code? Right. Apparently what not. an asshole yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to no comment this one <laughs> right <laughs> uh, at least it's not Saber Sim right because that obviously they they must have copied all the code from FC in order to get that tool right yeah well Saber Sim so I, I don't I don't actually follow all the optimizers Saber Sim I think is based on actual sim I mean I guess it sounds like it's in the name. They they do run actual simulations and they Yeah, but but only for their projection. I mean, like you can't import your oh, own really? and run your own simulations. Okay. That's what I want. That's that, that that's what I told Justin Freeman what I wanted. You make that and then you fucking you fuck everything up. Yeah. I want to be I want to be able 
to run my own simulations of my own projections. There, cool. Right, you understand? Like, I, I want to be able to put in, uh, like, if I put in the blitz projections, and I go, pull in all the blitz projections with the floors, the ceilings, the percentiles, and everything, and the correlation coefficients, or whatever the fuck, and then give me a contest, and go, okay, here's, here's what I put in the ownership of this contest, and I want you to simulate the contest 10,000 times. And then show me the line, and then show me the lineups and everything, and then... Then I get to pick my lineups, which is, which shows the highest ROI. I mean, like, that's what I want. Yeah, I don't want the game I mean, simulate. I don't give a fuck about the game simulations. That that's what a lot of people do, though. Is that? I, yeah. I assume that's what like whistles go. Who does and brick and those guys do? Yeah. That essentially, and Ner- Nerdy Tenor, I think, said that on your show that he essentially right. does that. Yeah. But some yeah, type of process be- like that where. I could ru- I could run a simulation of the I don't care about sim- running the simulation of the games I care about running a simulation of the contest oh, and yeah. then being able to put in like my owners like like I don't want it to, oh this is what we project it's like well no I think this guy's gonna be twice his own so like obviously yeah. none of these numbers man like I could look at Osimo's you know the the boom bust for instance on the boom bust thing right. like I look at that I some people sort by the leverage column right they go okay who's positive leverage low negative leverage but all it's doing is comparing the top optimal per- percentage to the Osimo ownership percentage. Right. But I'm looking at the Osimo ownership percentage, and this guy is 12% owned. I go, no, nah, I think he's going to be 18% owned. And right. now that he's 18% owned, he's actually negative leverage. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's like I, I you got to look. I, I don't mind looking at Alex's simulations, right, because yeah. he's using it based on his projections. I don't mind that. But it's like. I need to compare it to the ownership that I actually think it's going to be and then judge it by that. So that's why I look, I do look at those types of tools and a lot of times the awesome ownership is directionally accurate enough on the high and low end. Like he had this pad, this past slate that Foreman and Singletary were massively negative leverage at running back. And I had that originally. I mean, he actually had, uh, had Singletary lower owned than what he actually came out to be. Yeah. And for, Foreman and Singletary both even lower owned, and I thought they were massively over owned at that point. So it's like I'm in agreement. Like, but once you get down into that like minus three to plus three range, right? It's, it's like tough. yeah, if you think a guy's going to be twelve percent owned and also has him at six percent owned, it's like, well, it's not positive leverage anymore. It's actually negative leverage now. So like, yeah, right. That is, that is the and and I do that. I probably talk about it too much. I think on the on the shows sometimes. I mean, as you mentioned, my my catchphrase is, well, that's what the tools say. And I probably, uh, because sometimes it is that that little bit of a difference. And I can say, well, this player looks like a good player because he's projected for 5% ownership, but he's optimal 7% of the time. But it's such a slim margin sometimes that it's like, does this, how accurate is this really? Right. Well, I mean, but, but that, but that the concept of what you're saying on the show is accurate. Right. Right. Yeah. But you could judge it either way. You're, you're basically judging, judging optimal percentage versus ownership. And yeah. if, if, and that's why I tell people on my shows, it's like, if you, well, I, don't, I, I think this in NBA, I think this guy's going to play 34 minutes, not 30. So fucking change it. Right. So, right. right? I, I think, I think the ownership's going to be 12%, not 6%. So, so change it. Yeah. Right. So just change. If that's what you think, then just use that number then. Just, just right. all you have to do is, so, but in your, when you say like, oh, a guy's going to be 5% only as a 7% chance, it's like, well, if you think he's going to be ten percent owned, then he's negative leverage. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. right, like, but the concept of what you're saying is is how you should be viewing it. 
right. Whether or not you trust people the, are learning how to think about these things, right. at least from from the way I talk about it, right. And but I also often say, watch the shows tomorrow because things change. Sometimes things will change really drastically from when I do a show on Saturday versus Sunday ownership projections. So, yeah, right. Like I thought, I thought Marvin Jones would be even higher on than what he was. And he still was over owned. So Why? was it because of his uh, bonus? It, it, his yeah, bonus yeah. That that was a bright. That was right. I, know, it, I, it, 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 I thought. I actually thought about it. I thought, yeah, I, I could see them forced it, but he only did like four receptions. So I was like, how much is that going to really do for him? I don't know. I thought about it a little bit, but yeah, I didn't get to it. No, I just thought he would be. Uh, typically, those types of things. It's just it's a group thing. Like I typically whatever whatever the industry is talking about. I like. Like, he, it's not like he projects for that. I mean, he's, he projected okay, right? It, but, but I'm just saying, he sh- I don't think he should be 15% owned, right? right. Uh, you look at that and you go, why am I, why am I playing a 15% owned guy like that, right? Based on, based on some incentive type of thing. It's like, oh, you got you to gotta, you gotta play Cooper Cup. He's going for the record. Well, no, you got to play Cooper Cup because he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. Because yeah, he's Cooper Cup. Right, because he's Cooper Cup. You got to play Justin Jefferson, because he's going for the the, the franchise right and like no Adam Thielen's out and they're playing indoors against the Bears. Yeah. Like that's why you're playing Justin Jefferson. I really don't care about any type of incentive, right? Gronk Rob Gronkowski, oh, he's going to make sure to get him his incentive. Dude, they have no Chris Godwin. So they're, and they're playing the Panthers defense. I guess these are all places where you get to them anyway. I factored in a little bit. Like there are, so Stefan Diggs I thought was a better play yesterday because he needed six receptions for a big bonus. It was like so his floor is pretty much six receptions. I mean right. really they're not gonna let him not get to six receptions. Of course, if it's six receptions for twenty yards, that's not gonna get you anywhere. But he's also Stefan Diggs. So I give I give a little boost in some cases based on some of the incentives. If I think the incentive is realistic and within their like within their control, then I can factor it in a little bit. But yeah, generally, you're not going to play a bad play because if he puts up 150 yards, he's going to make a lot of money because that's just probably not going to happen. Right, but most but, but most of the time that those incentives are reflected in ownership. It's already right. controlled for that. Like, that. that's how I view it is like, whatever bonus that you think that you get in the projection because of that is going to, is typically over projected in the ownership. Like, that's like, on any other slate... Marvin Jones would be six percent owned. Okay, but Stefan Diggs yesterday was six point nine percent owned in the millie, which to me is that was a good. No, if you were playing the millie, I thought that was I thought that was good. Okay, that's okay. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But understand that Justin Jefferson projects much better than him for not much more money. Yeah, true. Justin Jefferson was also only thirteen point six percent owned. So right, well that's what that, I don't but, think the narrative got out of hand. At least right in those two examples. Well, depend depend it depends on what you were doing. I I think a lot of people were paying up for Jonathan Taylor and that they couldn't get to those guys. Sure. But I'm saying like like I Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson was thirteen percent, he was the most underowned wide receiver on the entire slate. So like, why would I play yeah. Stephon Diggs at six yeah. percent owned? Like I it, it 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 comes down to the context of who else is available. Yeah, always. If Justin Jefferson was 22% owned and Cooper Cup was 34% owned and Stefan Diggs is 6% owned, now now I'm more on board to be playing Stefan yeah. Diggs because it's dramatically different than the better options that are now at over-owned percentages. Right. But this is the way that I play. You just jam, you just type some buttons in and just whatever the fuck comes. Yeah, you want Winfrey? Who gives a fuck? It just comes out. Yeah. It'll give me something good. You're, you're the people that you're you're you're, you're, you're the person that people complain about on Reddit. Right. If you play 150 lineups, or or, or you mean the 
Who would play? Nobody would play Jawan Winfrey on purpose. Those people. No, yeah, no, no yeah, or Danny Amendola, right? Did you play any Dan Danny Amendola? I didn't play any Dan, Danny no, Amendola. no, but I'm talking no, about on on the threads of like I don't want I oh you I you guys just punch numbers and I'm and trust what a computer says and set it a bunch of lineups and make a lot of money and go and I, anytime I look at those those threads I go. Then why don't you do it? <laughs> like, like, right, like, yeah. isn't the point of this to make money? Isn't the point of us to? Well, I, I'm not going to just trust what a computer says. Right. It's like even though all the top players that make all the money trust what the computer says, I'm not going to do it out of out of what spite? And I, I never understand that. That, yeah. but I'm saying I'm, but I'm kind of pushing back on that with the late swap stuff of like I'm kind of saying it's like. Yo, oh, you're just going to push the late swap button and trust what the computer says? I'm going to go to individual lineups and right. make sure. Yeah. But you're also pushing buttons and then realizing that you look at some of your lineups and go, nope, that was an error. It's not like I just <laughs> press the lineup and then let it go. <laughs> I, I press the I, uh, late swap, click the late swap button, look at the exposures now. Okay, do I like this? You know, I'm still thinking about it after. But you know, you're letting the, the computer think about it. We're not well, going to let, 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 let our computer overlords tell us what to do. Yeah. I mean, they're they're pretty smart. I don't know. At some point, we're just going to have to submit, I think. To the computer, to the computer overlords? overlords? Yeah, at some point, right? Right. We all You just wake up in the morning and you press the optimize button. Exactly. Right? Well, maybe... I mean, once we once we get that tool that, you, that you're talking about, the uh, run the sims based on my info... Right. At that point, you would, right? You just let the, let the computer tell you what to play, right? You're not going to give it much more thought than... Of course, you're creating projections and stuff, so I guess that's right. not really... Oh, I thought you meant for life. I thought you meant I'd run it and be like, oh, you're yeah, going to have yeah. breakfast at 9.32 in the morning, you're going to have two eggs, and it's just going to be whatever the optimal... The optimal That's my cash lineup. My my, my day-to-day cash cash day-to-day lifestyle lineup. We've got at least a decade before that's before that's the case. No, people... No, it's going to happen that according to anything in technology, everything's going to happen next year. <laughs> the metaverse, it's coming. Three years. Uh, true. Right? I have no idea what that is, but I'm looking forward to it. Right. The metaverse. Understand that in like 1960, people said three years, flying cars, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that, has, that hasn't happened. When, when do we get our flying cars? Do we want flying cars? Why do we want flying cars? No, flying Ubers. We don't have to own yeah. them. Unless they, unless they can automate. Like, I don't want to be in a car with drivers flying throughout the air unless the cars themselves are driving themselves in the air. Then that'd be cool. Yeah, but we go on planes. Isn't that what a plane is? Yeah, but this would be a lot more of them, like probably around the same altitude at the same time. So it's a lot more dangerous if there are people actually controlling. You, you, th- you think it's just going to be the rich people on those on those flying cars? That's yeah, good point. right. I mean, remember, it's, it's not a real concern that I'm bringing up here. Right, this isn't something that keeps me up at night. Right, like they're they're planning on opening a space hotel for people to get on the rocket. Like, yeah, 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 because normal people are going to be able to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, all hair the computer overlords uh, when when they come. Uh, hopefully, they don't come for DFS soon. But hopefully not. Uh, uh, Neil, uh, just a programming note: uh, this show is not going to be like every other week. Because I mean, you could tell just from our conversation. Uh, once NFL is over, like what what all we're going to do is bitch and moan about NBA DFS late swap yeah. every week. So figure uh, during non football season. To just do a show every other week, so it'll keep those complaints to a minimum, and then we'll get ba- we'll get baseball back in the beginning of April, right? The end of I'm, I'm gonna I'm, play a couple of MMA slates. Oh yeah, M- oh you're gonna play some MMA? 
Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. I'm more excited. I This is how, how horrible NBA DFS is. Come March, maybe I end up playing spring baseball, spring, spring training baseball more than NBA DFS. I have not gotten into any of the spring training or summer league. I've never played any of that stuff or preseason football. So uh, I don't know why. Maybe I should. It sounds like people who actually like really pay attention to it. I played XFL, which is probably actually the best, the, the closest to one of those, because I was finding beat reporters myself and seeing what they were saying about, is this player going to play? Because there's no like one place where they tell you all of the information like other sports. So so I guess maybe that's close to them, but I, I can't get into the the spring training and summer league if I have other like real options real real options well i guess what i mean is big prize pool they don't tip right right it's not big prize pools. you're right yeah. well let's see if there even is a baseball season <laughs> exactly that's a good point we might not have it oh that would very, suck very, to have to continue to play nba dfs even late season nba and then the playoffs oh oh i may quit dfs at that point <laughs> yeah I, I i've never actually gotten into nba showdown uh which this year, love like I didn't love NFL Showdown until this year. Now I'm super into it. So maybe maybe that'll be the next thing for me, getting into Showdown. Uh, no late swap in Showdown. That's true. Makes right. it easier. Okay. Right. Makes it easier. So player Q DFS on Twitter, and uh, that, with the NFL season coming to an end, are you are, are you going to be doing NBA stuff in Osmo? I don't think so because uh, just my schedule doesn't work out because I can't do live before lock with trying to make all my lineups. Mm. And we'll see. I, I might, I'll, I'll be doing stuff with Osmo. I don't know if I'll be doing NBA stuff. TBD. Right. So to be determined. But you could always go to awesomeo.com and find that information. Uh, also, if you subscribe to Roto-Grinders Premium, I don't know if people know that I have a I have a featured channel in the Discord called Blender's Game Theory where I answer and we talk about strategy and stuff, not slate specific. And uh, every week or so, uh, I do a private group coaching calls and we get on Zoom and uh, people ask their questions and talk about stuff and their own personal play. People bring up screenshots of their Excel stuff and Roto Tracker. And if you want to participate in any of that, it's, it's essentially private coaching, but in front of the group. I mean, like, there's 40, 40, 50 people in there, and you go one by one. You sign up on a little form, and we talk for 30 to 60 minutes or whatever. Uh, but if you want to pay for this. Well, you have to be a Roto-Grinders premium member. Okay. So as long as you have a Roto-Grinders subscription to any one sport, combo sport, you're part of the Discord. So you don't you don't pay extra for it. Just it's nice. part. It's, it's, a value, it's a value add for that. So if you want to – because people don't show up for the pregame show – and I try to answer questions in the YouTube chat, but if you want something much more in-depth, much more personalized, uh, that would be the place to go. So if you sign up for Roto-Grinders Premium, go to rotogrinders.com slash Discord, and that'll take you into the Discord. And I always post, uh, and the, the new, you know, every week or so, the, the, the next group coaching call, uh, what the date is and the link to the Zoom and everything. And it, none of them are recorded, so you could just feel free to vent and, Tell, tell me all your secrets, and then no one knows other than the people in there. Because uh, I, I, some people are, are, are not as transparent as, as us, and they don't want everyone to know what their, you know, what their results are and their financial situations are. But in order to give good advice, you kind of have to, like, you kind of have to know that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, in, until, until next time, uh, remember, every other week now, so we'll see you in two weeks.
on another edition of the Daria Deli Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com.